Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey, everybody. This is Trista, and you're listening to episode 18 of the Better Etc. podcast. So before I get started with the actual episode and the chat I had with an old friend named Janet Jones, I wanted to let you all know that I'm going to change up the format just a little bit. So a couple weeks ago, I did a special episode that I called Trista's Takes. And on that episode, I shared my thoughts on what was going on in Bachelor Nation. Now, the Trista's Takes that's going to be a part of every episode will not always be about Bachelor Nation. It might be something personal that I'm going through or my family's going through, my friends are going through that I want to share or that I want to vent about, and hopefully you all can relate to it. It might be something inspirational or just uplifting that I have seen or read or heard about from Instagram or friends or whatever that I want to share with all of you. It might be current events happening in the world that... I want to come on here and talk about who knows what it'll be. It could be anything. (laughs) And I'll do that in the beginning of every episode. So I'm going to change up the format in that way. But I also wanted to let you guys know that we created a Facebook group. It's called the Better Etc. Facebook group. And all you have to do is go to Facebook, search for Better, Etc. in groups, and then ask to join the group. And you'll be asked to answer a couple questions. They're really easy. And I wanted to do this in a way because I personally love being part of a group. It makes me feel good to be connected to other people. And I want this to be a place that you all feel like you can connect with each other and with me, where you can share your insights and your tips and maybe your suggestions, uh, where we can discuss the episodes and and really relate to each other and what we're all going through. So I hope that you'll go join the Facebook group and we can create a community around being better. Okay, for this first Trista's takes, I obviously need to discuss what's going on in Bachelor Nation. So This is being recorded on March 2nd, which is Tuesday night. So when this comes out next week, if other things have happened and I don't discuss them, that's why. So what has happened since I recorded that special episode, the first Tristus Takes a few weeks ago, it was all about what happened after the Rachel Lindsay, Chris Harrison interview on Extra. Since then, Chris Harrison has temporarily stepped down, although Now I'm finding out that it might not be temporary. It may be permanent. And I wanted to let you all know that I have been getting a lot of DMs asking, and not really in a cruel way, just asking me to discuss what my thoughts were in terms of Chris. And to let you all know, I privately reached out to Chris. He has been like family for so long. I mean, he's part of my bachelor family. He's a good friend. And I wanted him to know that I recorded the podcast, that I felt like he had made a mistake, but I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and for him to know that he still has me in his corner, that I am still his friend. We all make mistakes. And if he needed an ear or a shoulder, then I was here. I don't believe in cancel culture. I do believe in accountability. 
I did have someone reach out to me via DM and ask me if I believed in teaching my kids about consequences. And 100% I do. I believe that my children need to understand that there are consequences for bad choices, that there are consequences for bad actions, that there are consequences for doing the wrong thing. I do believe that the way that he treated Rachel in that interview and his defense of Rachel Kirkinell's racism was wrong. I do believe it's wrong. Rachel Kirkinell even came out and said, for everyone who is reaching out to other people defending me, please stop because I did something wrong and I need to change. She admitted that she felt like what she did was wrong and she's learning from that experience and trying to be better. That said, I think there is a spectrum of right and wrong, right? So at one end is doing things perfectly, doing it exactly right. And at the other end, it's doing them exactly wrong. And then there's, you know, somewhere in between, there's a quarter of the way, there's a three quarters of the way, there's a spectrum. And I think it's all relative. And I think consequences need to be relative. And I don't believe that Chris Harrison deserves to be fired. I don't believe in the hashtag fire Chris Harrison for defending Rachel. I don't believe he needs to be canceled or lose his job permanently. I believe that he is holding himself accountable by stepping down temporarily. And I do want to say that I fully support the addition of diversity in hiring Emmanuel Acho, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who wrote the book Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I think he is an outstanding choice, and I fully support that. Another thing that I fully support or another person that I fully support is Rachel Lindsay. So she deactivated her Instagram account this week, this past week, because she was receiving so much hatred. There's no place for that, people. I have always, always had a really big problem with people who just spew hatred online because they feel like they can, because they feel like there are no consequences. They don't have to answer to their horrible tweets or their horrible DMs or their horrible comments because they can just cancel that account and get a new one or not even cancel that account and just continue to spew hatred. I just don't get it. And there have been a lot of times in the lifetime of my Instagram account that I have fought against them. And there have been times that I just delete them because I don't want to deal with it or I block them because I don't want to deal with it. So it depends on the day. But more and more, I feel like my followers or the people who reach reach out to me via DM are just wanting to have a conversation and truly understand my thought process. So I fully respect that and the desire to have a respectable conversation. I am a big believer in the golden rule treating others how you want to be treated. And I wish that these haters, trolls, whatever you want to call them, that they would put themselves in other people's shoes. When you're in the public eye, you should realize that you are opening yourself up to criticism, of course. But I don't think that you need to be opening yourself up to cruelty. That's not how it should go in my mind. I just wish there was more kindness. Now, moving on to Taylor Nolan. So this week, the past few days, it has come out about 
a whole handful of tweets that she tweeted back in, oh, I can't remember what year, but it was about eight, 10 years ago. I saw the tweets and they are appalling. They are unsettling. They are disturbing. They are horrible. And on that spectrum of right and wrong, they're pretty far down the side of wrong. I don't need to go into what the tweets involved. Just know that they were absolutely awful and have no place coming out of anyone's mouth. She has said that she decided to not delete them because they're part of her journey. And she has done the work over the past eight, 10 years to get to where she is today to be able to stand up against racism. But I don't know. I'm having a really hard time with the fact that she was so actively promoting the hashtag fire Chris Harrison for him defending racism. And she wanted him to be canceled. If that's the consequence that she wanted for Chris Harrison, what should be her consequence? It's really hard because I do want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And I do think that everyone makes mistakes. We're all human. But I do think there need to be some consequences for what she said. She offended so many walks of life. So many. And she has offered some apologies in terms of she put out a couple written statements and then she also did a video that she later deleted. She went on her stories and apologized for the video because she was in a reactionary mode and she was very defensive. I didn't think she sounded at all remorseful. I haven't seen anything come out to show me personally, and not that she needs to show me, who am I? But um, in my personal opinion, it didn't seem like she was very remorseful, unfortunately. And do I want people to send her hatred? Absolutely not. It's not okay to send anyone hatred. Do I think there should be some accountability? Yes. 100% yes. Do I know what that looks like? 100% no, I don't. I don't know. All I know is that it is a rough time in Bachelor Nation. I really, really hope that this doesn't mean the end of the show because oh, the show has given me so much in my life. Obviously, my husband and my family are the top of that list, but the friends that I've made through it and the experiences, the memories, even just being a viewer, sitting on my couch, and the nights that I've had with friends watching the show or with Ryan. I've had a lot of fun with the show over the years, and I know so many of you have too, because so many of you reach out to me telling me stories of how you had the television on when you were giving birth, or you watched it with your mom who has since passed away or you named your child after me or Ryan. I mean, there's a connection there. There's a bond. Um, we are Bachelor Nation, and I really, truly hope that we can repair the cracks in our foundation and, and continue forward because I love this show. And yeah, 
the show has made mistakes in the choices that it made in terms of the cast and the diversity. And I really do feel like they are getting better. And I believe that they can continue to do that that they can continue to move forward, that we all can continue to move forward and be better and be kinder and support each other. And I don't know, that's, that's my hope. That's my hope at least. So I wanted to end this little Trista's takes with a sweet little story that my friend Kelly Wolf, who uh, was one of my first guests on the podcast that she posted in her stories It's just a sweet story, and I thought I would share it with you in this first Trista's Takes. At 40, Franz Kafka, he lived from 1883 to 1924, who never married and had no children, walked through a park in Berlin where he met a girl who was crying because she had lost her favorite doll. She and Kafka searched for the doll unsuccessfully. Kafka told her to meet him there the next day, and they would look for her doll again. The next day, when they had not yet found the doll, Kafka gave the girl a letter, written by the doll, saying, Please don't cry. I took a trip to see the world. I will write to you about my adventures. Thus began a story which continued until the end of Kafka's life. During their meetings, Kafka read the girl the letters from the doll, carefully written with adventures and conversations that the girl found adorable. Finally, Kafka brought back the doll, Hibawen, that had returned to Berlin. It doesn't look like my doll at all, said the girl. Kafka handed her another letter in which the doll wrote, My travels have changed me. The little girl hugged the new doll and took the doll with her to her home. A year later, Kafka died. Many years later, the now adult girl found a letter inside the doll. In the tiny letter signed by Kafka, it was written, Everything you love will probably be lost, but in the end, love will return in another way. After the story, it says, embrace the change. It's inevitable for growth. Together, we can shift pain into wonder and love, but it is up to us to consciously and intentionally create that connection. All right, so here's to my first Trista's takes, and now on to the episode with my friend Janet. Today, I get to reconnect with an old friend named Janet Jones. We danced together when we were Miami Heat dancers. Such a fun time in both of our lives. She was born in Miami to Cuban and Dominican parents and began dancing when she was just three years old. She became a pro when she was hired as a Miami Heat dancer with me and went on to dance at pretty much every award show possible, assisting choreographers who taught her the business. And then she started her own talent agency. The recession hit, though, and she had to close her doors and reinvent herself. And that, to her, meant getting a job in corporate America because that's what she thought the happily ever after meant for everyone. Get a job with benefits and find a husband, become a mom. She became a mom and she had this job in corporate America, but she was missing the real Janet. She was missing who she was meant to be. And so along with that came depression. She had postpartum depression, but also from this drastic change in her lifestyle, from the exciting world of performing arts to corporate America in finance, which is not even what she studied. In 2012, she returned to her passion of dance and started VXN. It is a workout routine that is focused on performing and the excitement of being on stage, the lights, 
the hair and makeup, the glam. They now have 500 instructors in eight countries and over 150,000 participants to date. But what I really wanted to talk about with her is something that happened in September of 2020. She collapsed from burnout. She was going, 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 and not giving herself the ability to deal with the stress and the emotions that came with running a business, being a mom of two, being a wife, being there for everyone in her life except for herself. So she shares this experience with us. I think we all can relate to being there for everybody but ourselves. And she shares how we can work to prevent that and also work to heal if burnout does become something that we have to deal with personally. She shares lots of great advice in things that she has learned from this experience, and I'm excited for her to be able to share them with you. Here we go. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Oh, I'm so excited. It's been so long. I know. Okay, so everybody, I'm really excited for you all to um, to tune in to this little chat between old friends. My friend Janet Jones and I danced together on the heat. We were just discussing almost 20 years ago, which makes me feel so old. But um, welcome, Janet. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to reconnect. And it's crazy because I was just, before you reached out to me this last time, I was telling my husband how much love I've always had for you and oh, how like, right re- <laughs> and remember like the dilemma of even doing the show. Right. Because at that time I had just moved to LA. Remember that you would come with me to the whole Darren thing. I think yes. you like stayed with me in the hotel to go to the audition or something along those lines. And you finally made it and you were torn. You're like, oh my God, do I do it? And I was like, and look at your life. Like how yeah. amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy how things happen, right? Okay, so you founded Vixen and you are the mom of two beautiful girls and you're a wife and obviously a daughter and a friend and all of these things, a dance instructor, a choreographer for for VXN. What are your roles and responsibilities specifically? And I'm I'm assuming it's like all, all us moms out there, we have a billion hats and we're just trying to make it all work together. So how do you balance all those roles and responsibilities? There's no balance. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there, there is no balance. And you need to be okay with the fact that there is no balance. I've learned to, so like how I've made it work is that I know that Mondays and Tuesdays, let's say, mm-hmm. I set aside days that are heavy work days because whatever I do, I try to be completely present. Yeah. And when you try to balance it out, you start to feel like you, you're not really getting anything done well. And especially the work that I do, that it's creative. It just requires all of your brain power to really create things and be there emotionally and kind of like problem solve to the extent that I need to problem solve for my work. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to use all my brain power. So in order to do that, I can't be worried. So while I'm work, I know that from Monday to Tuesday, I set it up where it's like, those are my deep work days. Wednesdays, let's say I'm a mom. And I couldn't imagine being able to do that with everything at work kind of clouding my mind. So for me, 
the only way to do it is just to kind of, you can't compartmentalize motherhood, but it's just to like set aside blocks of time yeah. that you solely focus on work and then solely focus on family. Yeah. But that right there is balance. Even though you said there, there is no balance, that's your balance right. is yeah. like figuring out like those days and setting aside specific days where you can be present in, in everything wholeheartedly, you know? So I think that's great. I think, I think if, if that's what you need to do for you, then you've figured it out. And, and that's one step closer to, you know, finding happiness in, in every yeah. day, you know, <laughs> but, but I'm going to admit the work blocks come with a lot of guilt. Yeah. You have to protect those boundaries and it's, it's hard. Because it's, right. it's, you know, it's all you. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me. I mean, I'm on my computer all the time. Even before I started this podcast, whether it was writing my book or just, you know, working as a spokesperson or influencer in, in just the emails or paying the bills or writing friends back or whatever is going on in my life. I feel like I'm always at the computer. So I have to be very, very conscientious about looking up from my computer, getting up from my computer, giving my kids a hug when they get home from school, like all of those things and just being on top of scheduling. But I think it's really good of you to set aside those specific days because most days I'm like, I don't have like a set schedule. I just kind of go with the flow on, I I try to prioritize. So whatever needs me most in that moment, that's what I'm gonna do. If it's the day to pay my bills, then I got to sit down and I got to freaking pay the bills. And if yeah. it's the day to go through the mail, then it's that. And if it's the day that I'm the carpooler extraordinaire, then that's the day that I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. So. I found, I, I used to be that way. I used to be with it. And I found that my productivity was deeply affected by being that way. Cause I was at the mercy of everyone else's needs and agenda. True story. Yes. And I probably need to change that, but yeah, I think yeah. it's great that you set aside two days specifically to be able to do that. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's it's probably more, it's more days now, but you just, you set aside your blocks, whatever works for you. If yeah. you're more creative and productive in the mornings, then that's your block and you have to protect it mm-hmm. and be like, no one call me, no one, don't do anything other than the deep work is what we call. Yeah. So by doing, even if it's setting aside two days where you do deep work, you're going to get much more done than just trying to do everything at the same time. True story. And I just heard someone talking about like turning off notifications on your phone and, and putting your phone in airplane mode at night, like eight o'clock at night or whatever. So you don't feel like you have to respond to people. I'm like, oh, I so need to do that because the second I am the person who tries to write people back right away when they text me or email me. Oh, yeah. It's so bad. Yeah, then that'll contribute to your burnout. For sure. And that's what we're getting into now. (laughs) So it was the perfect lead-in. So in September last year, you know, we're already in probably like six, nine months of COVID. Well, I'll let you explain it. What did you experience in September 2020? I was just answering every, I mean, like per usual at that point, I wake up and I already have like, 50 text messages from oh different people, different needs, because the company in and of itself, there's a lot of moving parts, right? Yeah, right. And then add the mom chats from school. 
and mm-hmm. add the mom dads from Dan. Like any other day, I was just answering a text message and I just, I blacked out. I don't remember anything after that other than waking up in my bed and what, almost like sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Was anyone there with you? I was alone. I know that this happened because I looked at the cameras. Oh gosh. So you saw yourself pass out or collapse. Yeah, because I didn't know what happened. I know that I was in sleep paralysis and then I must have gone back to sleep. And then the next time I wake up to go and try to brush my teeth, Mm -hmm. I had forgotten how to brush my teeth. Oh my gosh. And I I had a severe pain in the back of my head. The only thing that I could um, describe is like feeling like if something was plugged, like was kind of yanked from the back of my head. Like I was unplugged and it felt Uh like my computer was in safe mode. What was wild was like, I, I couldn't call for help. I didn't feel fear. I didn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. I was aware that something was wrong, but had no emotions about it. And it's like, I would try to kind of form a sentence and I couldn't, like the words weren't coming to me. Like I just, it was, I was completely offline, which was so insane, but I just, walked myself back to my bed and I slept the rest of the night, woke up the next morning. I was able to put sentences together to like ask for help. Mm-hmm. Fast forward. I went to go see doctors. They do, did a bunch of tests. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. They were just like, Oh, it's just stress. I was like, no, Ugh, I hate when doctors say that. Like, how do you explain what happened to me? Like, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, yeah. well, you should go see a site of psychiatrist. So I did, I went to four different ones and mm-hmm. each of them were, well, the first two were just like, okay, you're clinically depressed. I'm going to put you on medication. I'm like, but that doesn't explain anything. You're just diagnosing right. a symptom. And I need some explanations as to like, what the fuck happened to me? I didn't right. feel any red flag. Yeah. That would, I just didn't feel anything. It wasn't until the fourth one where they had recommended that I seek out somatic experiencing. And when she said that, that was more aligned with like, okay, that, that felt like that was better aligned with the answers because I'm someone who like literally my TEDx talk was the body's wisdom. Like I know yeah. that trauma is stored in the body. I know that everything is, is happens because of the body. Mm-hmm. So that was more it. And through somatic experiencing and whenever I don't understand anything, I go into deep research mode. Mm, me too. So, and I discovered the polyvagal theory. So the vagus nerve is, is what runs from your brain to your body. And it's basically how the body communicates to the mind. So when you have unresolved trauma stored in your body, mm-hmm. your stress response is, is groomed by your past trauma, mm-hmm. right? What I didn't know was that my stress response is to disassociate. Okay. So I would whenever something gets too tough or whenever I feel sadness, I split. So I become completely numb and I don't feel anything, mm-hmm. which explains why I felt I never felt red flags. And being that way has been great professionally right. because whenever shit happens, I just keep going. Like if nothing's happened because I don't feel anything, not knowing. So I, I masked my being strong with, a maladaptive stress response since childhood yeah. that was slowly killing me and I didn't know. And so that opened up a whole new world that I needed answers because literally what I do is work with the body and the mind-body connection. So me, of all people, 
how did I not have this information? Like, how did I not know about this? Yeah. You know? And so the last psychologist was the one who said that, um, who had said that I have severe burnout syndrome. Okay. Right. So she's the first one who mentioned that as a syndrome and a diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, but what leads to that is not understanding your own limits, Mm -hmm. not having any margin and really thinking that you could do it all. And obviously no one can. So what happens is that because of my stress response of numbing myself, the body doesn't have the opportunity to give you the warning signals because how the body gives you warning signals is through your emotions. And mm-hmm. if we're numb to our emotions, and even as society says that it's like society numbs us since childhood that suck it up, or you're not supposed to get angry, you're not supposed to feel sad. So we're conditioned to numb our red flags. In retrospect, it's the best experience to have ever happened to me because I feel that there were so many behaviors on my part that I hadn't noticed were due to trauma-informed stress responses. So I became trauma-informed. I did like all these courses and certifications to learn as much about trauma that I can because mm. I always knew that my father's death was a trauma that I haven't resolved. I knew that that big one was there. But I discovered that trauma is anything that's too much for you to handle emotionally. So like, let's say if you were three years old and your mom screamed at you because you were went into the room because you were excited to tell her something and she was like, stop, that will mold your behavior for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Your nervous system will forever think that that's bad and you need to adapt. So I think you reached out, but I had a seizure back in like three years yeah three or four years ago so what you described is very similar to what happened to me so I I was in Europe we were at a national park we were going to go hiking for the day in this gorge amongst all these gorgeous waterfalls I was so excited I had planned out pretty much every part of the day and Ryan and I had had a fight the night before I hadn't eaten a lot for dinner like all these things you know compounded. And we're at this national park, we're on the shuttle bus where it would take you to like your first, like the starting point of the hike. And I had to check my email because I was working with someone there on like, you know, promoting certain things in Europe. And so I needed to check my email and we weren't always getting Wi-Fi. So I ran up to this, this like coffee shop and it was like up these big, huge stone stairs And I'm looking down on the shuttle bus and all of a sudden the shuttle bus starts moving and my whole family's in it. And I'm in another country. I don't have cell service. You know, I was just looking for Wi-Fi. So I run down these stairs thinking, oh my God, my family's leaving me. I had had back surgery, um, I think a year before that or six months before that I tripped and fell and I really hurt my back. And so I was in pain, but I was also like super stressed out that I was going to be separated from my family and they wouldn't be able to find me. And of course, I'm sure they would have just stopped the shuttle bus and waited for me. But in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm losing my family in this moment. So I ran up to the shuttle bus, I get on and Ryan's like, are you okay? Because I was totally crying because I you know, hurt myself. And I get on the bus, I sit down next to my daughter. And the last thing I remember is saying, he was like, are you okay? And I said, I just feel nauseous and dizzy. And then the next thing I know, I'm in what I call a white euphoria. So I, I feel like I had a near death experience and I fell over on my daughter. I was in 
full-on convulsions and, you know, my jaw was tight. I had my eyes rolled back. And so when I got home, I saw the neurologist and and tried to figure out what had happened. I think it was a one-off, but like you just said, you were in safe mode. Your computer system inside your body was on safe mode and it needed to reset. And the doctors that I saw and just internally how I feel about it is I feel like because it was such a like a panicky situation that I went through and it was so stressful that in a way my body just needed to reset and remember what was important and and get back to the basics of just taking care of myself, like truly taking care of myself. What's crazy is that um, there's an important book that um, by Gaber, I don't, excuse me if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, um, Gaber Mate. Um, it's called When the Body Says No. Mm. So what I discovered is like in school, you know that you, you learn about the fight, flight, even yeah. freeze. But our reptilian brain has this fail safe that when you are about to die and the death is imminent, like the lion has you in its mouth. There's no way to escape. It triggers the fail safe, right? So the Mm -hmm. fail safe is this thing that basically allows you to die peacefully. Mm. So like it like numbs your body. You don't feel fear. You don't, you can't scream for help because it removes all of that. And you just die peacefully. The body's amazing. So what happens is like, whatever happens with your stress response, Mm -hmm. if, if your nervous system feels that this is imminent and you can't escape the danger, even if what's happening in the actual world isn't obviously you're not in danger, but how you handle it internally, your response to it, your body doesn't know the difference. The body thinks you're going to die. It's going to trigger what it needs to trigger to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. And I feel that in my case, and maybe your case, it's like, we would have probably perpetually ignored the stress or the red flags that our body was given us. Mm-hmm. In my case, I'm completely numb, so I couldn't even feel it. But it, it, it had to take a complete collapse. And in your case, this near-death experience for us to evaluate or for us to take the step to be like, oh, shit, I'm important too. Yeah. As much as I talk about self-care, when you're in the midst of life, yeah. it's really difficult to protect protect yourself and do the things that you need to do for your self-care. Especially as a mom. With a mom, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Really. It's it's really incredibly difficult because the I have a lot of help with my kids. And Mm -hmm. still, it's to be a mom and have a career that's demanding, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah, for sure. And we don't we don't give ourselves enough grace to say you know what, this is a really hard job and you're doing the best that you can and it's okay to have an off moment and be human. A thousand percent. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the conversation. So on your social post on Instagram, you talked about surge capacity and that kind of resonates with me in that the seizure for me When I was running down the stairs and I got hurt and I picked myself back up and I walked to the shuttle bus and I sat down and that's when I passed out. 
I think that the surge capacity was all the points before my seizure, like, like actually helping my body to be able to survive until I reached my family, you know, and it's crazy what your body does in that it kept me alive and moving until I was in a place of safety. And then I could let go and reboot and reset. The definition that you shared on Instagram was surge capacity refers to a human's ability to mentally and physically manage particularly stressful situations, drawing on inbuilt systems when survival mode kicks in. These survivalist reactions give us a surge that helps us cope in such situations in the short term like a natural disaster. So tell me about surge capacity. Like, how did you come to know about it? I mean, obviously, I'm sure it was in the research that you did for your um, burnout and mm-hmm. what you know now that you can share with everyone. I know that surge capacity is is built in all of us whenever we have to deal with something that requires us to survive. The thing is that it's not meant to extend yeah. for long periods of time. And especially this year, we've all been in this surge capacity that has no end. And I think the fact that it's like, I feel like if we knew that, okay, it's going to be 15 months. Yeah. 15 months. But the fact that there's no footing anywhere and no ground to, is, is what adds to this ambiguous thing. Like, it's, yeah. it's so odd. It's overwhelming. Um, it's over. No, overwhelming is like an understatement. It's like, it's, it's, I feel like if we don't tack, if we don't sit and allow our, our emotions to kind of pass through us and just go, 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 it's going to result in illness. Yeah. Because the body will say no. The body will be like, you need to stop. And I'm going to stop you so I could help you live, you know, but sometimes it's too late. Yeah. Oh, okay. So looking back on your situation and the collapse, are there any red flags that you see now that you didn't before because you were, you were trained to not feel? I mean, listen, when, when I have a fitness business, so when everything was mandated to close for me, it was like, I got to save my baby. Yeah. Right. So I just went right in and for a long period of time, and I would say even before that, like really the lifestyle that I was living was not something that was what anyone could do for a long time, but it was always like, I'm going to kill myself now so that I could relax and be free, you yeah. know, cause I'm yeah. almost there. I'm almost at the mountaintop, but the reality is it doesn't come. It's always going to be an uphill, you know, battle. And so it's, that's a, terrible way of thinking because you're never going to feel relieved, especially if you're a mom. It's a whole different kind of ball game there. And so for a long time, I've had the accelerator on and my body was like having the accelerator on with the emergency brake at the same time. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Your engine's going to blow, like you're going to destroy. And yeah. that's what I've, that's how I've been living for a very long time. So, um, I, I knew that, that, I had no boundaries. I was mm-hmm. living a life without boundaries. And I the boundaries with the phone, mm-hmm. that is a huge thing because then it's like you have no escape. You have no other choice. You're serving your family. And so to then allow all these people 
to have access to you at all times. Yeah. That's going to contribute quickly to the burnout. And what's, what's so scary with burnout is, especially with what I do, that I'm lucky enough to have a career doing what I love most in the world. Yeah. Burnout will take that from you. So mm-hmm. when everything happened, I couldn't even listen to music. I I couldn't. I couldn't. I hate it. was like it my body would have a reaction to it. I couldn't see anything related to VXN because my body would have a reaction to it. My body was just trying to protect me because yeah. it it had kind of like tagged anything related to work as a danger to my body. Yeah. So I just I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do that anymore for a moment. I was afraid that the feeling to want to dance again, the feeling to want to create again would never come. Mm-hmm. Every morning I'd be there be like, okay, it's going to come today. And I would feel, I would feel nothing. So I completely did nothing for a few months. And it wasn't until December mm-hmm. um, where I woke up one day and it started to feel like I was affected by music. I was like, oh my God, I feel it. Like Yay. I used to. And so yeah. I, I just, threw myself in the studio and I just had to create something. So we did the nineties class, but just put together like, but just put together like a 60 minute nineties thing of just stuff that I enjoy. And that was for me, like part of the healing because when everything happened, it's almost like I had a, like there's like a depersonalization Mm -hmm. where like, I knew that that girl was me, but like, I felt like it was me from another time. Like it just, I had no connection to that person. So part of me remembering who I was, was doing that whole docuseries. But yeah, but burnout is dangerous. There's burnout from work, but then there's mom burnout. Yeah. So what red flags do you think that people can look for? I know you talked about the healing parts of it and what you did afterwards, but what can people look for to prevent or burnout if there's even the ability to prevent because maybe our bodies just need when we are going, 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 going. Maybe there are little resets that a lot of us have experienced that we don't even realize, like maybe they're not collapses, maybe they're not seizures, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're like, you know, you break down in tears or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just so exhausted at two in the afternoon that you have to sleep all night. Like maybe there, maybe there are little mini resets that we go through but in order to prevent the big ones like the ones that you and I have experienced um have you learned if there are any signs that people can look for for sure the ones that you mentioned and I would say the inability to go to sleep because you keep on thinking about it start seeing your stress responses so what I do remember is towards the end before it collapsed I never really, I've always been able to handle a lot mm-hmm. and I've always been able to work really well under pressure. Um, but towards the end, I remember that really feeling overwhelmed and almost like I felt like my capacity for empathy was filled. I started to feel afraid to hear someone's problem. Mm. Like I, I felt like I couldn't take one more thing because yeah. I had nothing to give you. So I started to create a fear. So it, and that's a real thing. It's like empathy. Forgot what it's called, but like you just have nothing to give anyone else. I think you mentioned it in one of your things: compassion fatigue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
It's compassion fatigue. And that was one of the main signs that I noticed towards the end for sure. And then as far as the healing, one of the best things to avoid burnout is play. Yeah. So play is one of the healthiest things that you could do for your nervous system. So it's literally like completely shutting off, um, obviously your notifications and people's access to you so you can be present mm-hmm. so as long as people have access to you, you're not really present in anything that you do so be completely present and play like go dance in your room or go do like literally play have like a field day or have like anything that you could that you just have fun that feeling of after having so much fun do you remember what that feels like oh it's the best i mean yeah, yeah i do yeah. remember it's been a long time yeah, but that feeling is like a vitamin. Like that, that feeling is like it's literally just like a, like a shot of just healing for burnout. Yes, so good. I think the play is great for anybody. I mean, when I was a pediatric physical therapist, I remember in learning about child development, it was said that play is the work of children, and um, it it should be the work of adults too. You know, we should all give ourselves the, the time to play and, and have fun and do what makes you feel alive. Dance is what makes you feel alive. Maybe for somebody else, it's just being with their friends or having a glass of wine or going to the spa or uh, I'm actually saying all the things that make me feel alive. (laughs) But yeah, like actually getting down to the things that make you feel alive. And one more thing before we end, because I I didn't touch on this before, but you mentioned somatic experiencing. Can you tell me about what that is? Because I know that that has helped you a lot after burnout and kind of finding your way back to yourself and to your, your core happiness. So can you explain to me what somatic experiencing is? So basically what somatic experiencing is, is that it helps you deal with unresolved trauma by taking you through the stress response to those emotions that trigger it. So for example, things that I didn't know I would do, like the dissociation, what would happen is like we would be in a session and I would just discuss something that would make me sad. But I would say like, oh, because that made me sad. And he's like, okay, wait, wait, Mm. let's just sit. Let's just sit with that for a second. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've never done. Yeah, I've never done that because I'm always go, go, go. Because I'm always like, OK, that made me feel this. Keep on going. That's totally wrong. So basically what the therapist would do is just make you sit with those emotions. And then he's like, what do you feel? And I'd be like, nothing. He's like, OK, just wait. Let me know when your body does something. I'll be like, OK, I feel my knee tingling. I feel you know, there's heat in my hips and all of a sudden my hands would tingle and all of a sudden the back of my neck would feel really warm and then nothing would happen for a while. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, all the sadness would just overcome me. Mm. And then he was like, just let it happen. Just let it happen. And then all of a sudden my body would go numb completely. My first session, I was like in a catatonic state for like mm. 20 minutes. I was just frozen. Wow. That's how severe my disassociation was to avoid me from feeling any pain at all. So then what would happen is at the end of it, I would go like this 
Like if I was just coming from like the bottom of the ocean and breathing, he's like, okay, you just completed your first stress cycle. Wow. Because you're supposed to allow yourself to feel mm-hmm. and find the 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 end of it where you're like, okay, I felt it. I'm okay with it. This is why I feel this way and I can move on because otherwise it gets stored in yeah. your body. And so that's what somatic experiencing was. So basically we would just kind of tackle all the things that would cause me to disassociate and make my stress response shorter and shorter and shorter. And it doesn't mean that you're still not going to have the stress response. Mm-hmm. I'm just aware of it now. So yeah. when something triggers me, even like from my, my call from that you saw about burnout, that it was like when something triggers me, you have to sit with it and be like, ooh, why did that get me angry? Wait, let me just like, check myself okay mm-hmm. and if you and it, you take a minute and not just go 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 and that's super important but no I I thought I felt that somatic experiencing for me was 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 what allowed me to heal so quickly and I still have therapy but I feel like now I could go to talk therapy and, and be able to talk through stuff before the stuff that's in my body that your body does unconsciously I can't see how you could talk about it yeah if you don't know it's there so you feel like you've, you've definitely grown into or evolved into a new Janet, like with this and, and you're in a happier space. A thousand percent. And I still struggle. It's, it's a process. I just came back to work and already I feel like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, it's so easy to just get into the rat race because it's, it's hard not to. So I really have to be like, whoa. And be unapologetic for advocating for myself, which is a new thing for me, you know? Yes, so important. I think that so many of us moms out there feel bad when we have to say no to somebody, but you need to create boundaries for yourself in order to be able to be there for the most important people in your life, especially yourself. So you can prevent burnout. So you can prevent, you know, these awful stressful experiences that put stop you in your tracks and, and cause your body to feel like they need to reset. It's scary. So to not have to get there, show yourself the grace, tell people no, like you can do it in a kind way. I've always said that, like, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at saying no, but saying no in a kind way, like, I'm so sorry, but I just have too much going on right now. Can we revisit this in a month or whatever? You know, I feel like there is a way that you guys, everyone out there can say no because you need to create those boundaries for yourself and put yourself first. Are, I know you've done a lot of education. Can you tell me two or three books or or videos or talks or or things that you would share with people that have really helped you? Let me get my list. Okay. <laughs> my favorite is When the Body Says No by Gabriel Mate. Waking the Tiger okay. by Peter Levine. He's actually the one who created somatic experiencing. Awesome. The Body Keeps Score. Okay. And I loved Kelsey's book, Burning Bright. I, I loved it. So she kind of like includes a, a pieces of a lot of the books that I read mm-hmm. in one. So her book is great. And I'll share all the books with you after so you could kind of link it great. to your... Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes because I feel like people, if they've experienced something like this, 
are yearning for information, you know, to be able to look, look and educate it's important themselves. To, and it's important to read just because you'll see like, oh, the signs of this. And then as you're reading, you're like, oh my God, I've been, I've been in this red flag state for most of my adult life. So I don't know any difference. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm sure looking back at my life, I, I think I've had a lot of them. Yeah. And my body, you know, when I have my seizure, I think it was just like, okay, enough, Trista. You need to slow down. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I ask in, in kind of wrapping things up, uh, I ask every guest the same question. And that is, how do you hope to be better tomorrow? Or what do you plan to do to be better tomorrow? However you want to answer it. No, I'm not going to plan. I'm going to do. Awesome. To have more compassion with myself. And I think that having that mindset of being compassionate with yourself is the door to then the self-care and all the other stuff that we promote, but people don't really know how to actually do. Right. Because you could go to a million massages and a million manicures and a million spa days, but if you don't do the inner work and deal with the past trauma, mm-hmm. like that won't do anything that just scratches the surface and you'll never be able to feel the things that you need to feel like you'll reach success and not be able to feel the happiness because really working so hard for success is because of the emotion that you think you're going to get when you get there. So when you arrive and that emotion doesn't come, that's a mind fuck. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, will mess you up. So why you don't feel those things because there's there's some angry ghosts in you that you need to kind of tackle uh, first and then but that comes with a lot of self-compassion yes yes and I think a lot of things uh, in in multiple podcasts that I've done talking to life coaches especially and I have a couple that I I think Ryan Haddon and Kelly Wolf Aaron Trelore you should, you should check them out. I just feel like it's, it's helpful to everyone, but I feel like, especially with what you've been through, um, looking them up, uh, they, they really align with, with what you've talked about. But I, I think that whenever I leave one of these, whenever I end one of them, I, I think the main thing that I learn is that I need to talk to myself. Like I talk to my best friends, like I talk to my kids, like the things that I want for them should be what I want for me. Like I need to picture myself as my best friend. I need to picture myself as my child. And that's how I need to talk to myself. That's how I need to treat myself. That's, you know, in order to find that that happiness, you need to have that compassion and that grace. So I think that's a great a great thing to want to do. And, and I always put tomorrow on it because then it gives you a deadline. Then you think about it tomorrow, hopefully, and not just, you know, somewhere far, far away. You actually think about it tomorrow. So I hope that you can do that for yourself and you can, you can be compassionate with yourself tomorrow, especially if any stressful moments happen when you're on your, in your work day or with your kids I just want that for you. I want that for you. I want that for everyone. So thanks for, th- for sharing your story. Love you. And, and I'm so glad that you came out on the other side and you're happier, Janet. It makes me happy. And you too, T. I know you're still going through a lot of stuff. So please follow your advice. 
thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing this you, space and sharing your story. And, and I wish you so much love. Let's talk again soon. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter fan page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.